Hi, everybody. Thank you for coming back for another week of chatting with us on Meet Me in the Middle. This is Jenny, and I'm here to let you know that I did not turn my microphone on for this episode, so I sound like a little tin birdie talking to you. Um, The good news is I just deleted myself effectively as much as I could from the podcast, so you can hear good audio from Annika and Lee and maybe a few little tiny quiet sounds for me every once in a while. So apologies for that. We are learning and um, thanks so much for listening. What are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about disinformation, specifically as it relates to Russia. I'm Annika Buckle. I am in the middle of an existential crisis. <laughs> I'm Jenny Omani. I am a registered nurse in critical care and a business owner. And I'm Lee Freiling. I'm an entrepreneur and currently a master's student in counseling psychology. Yay! All right. I am really excited about today's topic um, because... It actually, us talking about this today kind of came out of like me going down the rabbit hole a little bit around this last week. Um, I've really been enjoying using my Instagram as an opportunity for me to kind of flex my political science brain muscles again. And um, needless to say, in this particular political climate, there's a lot to flex around. So we're going to talk about disinformation Um we're going to highlight specifically kind of what we what we're seeing right now in relation to Russia. And then because our broader um, topic always has to do with the wellness world, I know we're going to circle back to that because disinformation is such a slippery, ubiquitous kind of thing um, happening right now. So before we get started, I just want to make a couple of call outs that I think are really important. First, um, While I do think that the idea that all truth is relative becomes a very slippery slope for the last two years, and especially uh, having been in the wellness world for the last two years have taught us anything, I believe that the lie of there is no absolute truth, there is only your truth, um, is actually really dangerous. I also think it's important to remember that so much of what we believe and think we understand about the world is so contextual. contrasting two headlines this week from major U.S. publications, just compare and listen to this. Russian TikTok influencers are being paid to spread Kremlin propaganda and White House briefs social media influencers on Ukraine crisis. Now, as I'm going to get into today, they actually are different things, but you can see how easy it is to swap, how easy it would be to swap the countries in those headlines and tell a very different story simply with the language of framing. We don't have seven hours for me to dig into political communication theory or by God, I would, but (laughs) I do think it's important to call out how relative and contextual so much of all conversation is, especially around this. Um, I also just want to like put in like a real, a real quick brief here that anytime I have any political question whatsoever, I ask Annika, uh, go-to understander of all the hard political things in the world. Plus she's like a genius. Um, I keep leaning on her to become the Canadian Sharon says so, um, <laughs> <laughs> because we desperately need one actually. Um, and 
because she provides such an incredible service. So if you're not following Annika on your social media, you definitely should. If, if this is something that you want to learn more about, she presents all this information in a really um, accessible, digestible, and also quite factual sort of manner. And it's very helpful, I find. Oh, thank you. That's nice. <laughs> Um, okay. The second thing I'm going to call out before we dive in is that we can be critical of both sides when we have healthy debate. I remember when I first posted in my Instagram stories about the ties of white supremacy in the Canadian freedom convoy earlier this year, one of the very first comments I got back in my DMS was, Oh, and you think Trudeau is so not racist. Um, no. And your whataboutism is not doing you any favors. Please don't get me started on the millions of dollars the liberals have spent on fighting against paying First Nations kids in foster care what a human rights tribunal decided they are owed. But that's a topic for a different day because right now we're talking about this. So we can be critical of both sides without whataboutisming it. (laughs) And I think that it's really important. The point today in highlighting disinformation and specifically how that shows up in uh, what how Russia is is playing in the world right now is not to praise the job of quote unquote Western or mainstream media. I think we can be really critical of all parts of the narrative when we're really digging into and trying to suss out what the middle looks like. Um, you know, we know objectively that the you know, mainstream media favors the status quo, loves setting up false equivalencies, loves sensationalism, which actually so does social media. But again, we'll get into that in a minute. Um, And because of the close relationship high-level reporters and editors have with both business people um, and politicians, because that's what gets them access, you know, we know that this is how things are framed, but no media is without bias. And the more we delude ourselves into this idea that there's some sort of independent source totally free from bias and we just have to find it, the more susceptible we are to disinformation. Um, we're always just looking to support our biases, always. And no media, social, mainstream, unregulated or otherwise is without bias. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a really important point because, you know, over the last two years, there's been, you know, criticism just flung right, left and center, quite actually right, left and center um, (laughs) about, you know, oh, CBC is biased or, you know, whatever, CNN is biased or blah, 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 blah. Um, There's a really good resource. uh, You'll probably talk, you know, speak about it, Annika, all sides now. Isn't that it? Um, And they have like a whole map. They basically have mapped out all of sort of uh, mainstream and in fact, non-mainstream media sources um, as to where they lie on the political spectrum. So if you want a, a good sense of kind of where it is politically that generally the sense the, the the place where you're getting the most of your media from lays on the spectrum, then you can also get a sense of like just what kind of a story are, are they telling? You know, if you're watching primarily CNN, they're going to be left leaning. Fox, they're going to be primar- primarily right leaning, right? And it's important to understand that perspective, kind of like what Annika was talking about initially with regards to like you know the headlines and just the way things are phrased. 
Yeah, I think that it's that's a really great call out. All Sides Now is one of my favorite resources. They have a great Instagram and their website also has a sign up for their newsletter, um, which will present, you know, here's this issue that outlets are talking about. Here's the way it was framed by a right rated outlet. Here's how it was framed by a center rated outlet. Here's how it's framed by a left rated outlet. Um, And that can be, again, really helpful because we know that there is no media that exists without bias. So the more we can select our sources of information um, with intention and with an understanding that this is the bias I'm going to hear this from, then the more we can hear that as we're hearing information as well. Um, I just want you to stop for a minute and think really intentionally about what the disinformation, the dissemination of information, it's important distinction, might have looked like in World War I or World War II. Your places to have a healthy skepticism of the news were very narrow. Because there were so few places to actually get news. Imagine that when something would happen, it would take days, weeks, even months for that information to travel and then be appropriately analyzed. And by that point, tens, hundreds, thousands of other things would have happened. Um, I I went like off on a total tangent (laughs) um, down to something that really revolutionized the speed and efficiency of communications with civilians in World War II um, called Victory Mail. And I don't know if either of you like are familiar with this, but it was a real like leap forward in communication because previously where you would have you know, 20,000 bags of letters that, you know, would fill up a container on a ship and then have to get somewhere. Basically, they would take them, all the letters, heavily censor them. So we'll talk about that in more detail in a minute. Scan them. I mean, the paper letters were also heavily censored too, just in a much more like chunky kind of like redacted black bars kind of way. Um, They would scan them, put them on film, then that film could be carried, it would arrive where it was going and then be printed out into these really small strips of letters. So rather than having a container ship full of letters, you would have like one bag with like 60,000 letters or whatever it was, because all you had to transport was the information rather than the entirety of the the letter. So that's wild. And was that like for information or was that like people sending letters to their loved ones. Yeah. So it was civilian troop communication specifically. Huh. I think that's probably why they called it victory mail. <laughs> We're going to oh, win. And you can support the troops by sending your letters. Um, World War though, right? That's in the second yeah. world war. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a little advanced. for the first <laughs> Well, and actually really, really interesting. You know, we know censorship is a very important tactic in war as is disinformation and communications are really key to tactically being able to win war. Um, if this is something that you like are interested in and you find fascinating, I read a really fun fiction book um, earlier this year or last year, probably now. Oh my gosh, since it's March uh, called The Rose code by Kate Quinn. Kate Quinn writes a lot of like World War II um, kind of stories about women in World War II, like historical fiction, but not like, let's talk about the battle. Like, you know, let's talk about how women were able to transmit false messages. And it's it's fascinating anyways. Cool. Um, I mean, contrast even that with something like carrier pigeons, which is what they were using in World War I. And then contrast all of that with actual real-time live streams coming from actual soldiers or within military zones in the Ukraine right now. 
It's a pretty dramatic leap forward of information. And I think, yes, is it also edited, edited, censored, painted in careful light (laughs) based on what higher level military will allow to be shared? Of course, but we know it's a very different speed than what we've seen in past history. And I really, I feel like I really want to highlight this before we move on, because I know personally for me, it's really easy to forget what a really big deal access to information is. Um, right now versus other times in history and that it's so ubiquitous that we simply forget. Like, I don't think, oh, wow, in World War II, you would have had to wait three days for a newspaper to come out telling you what was happening when you can hop on and see something live right now. I'm gonna start specifically with uh, speaking about Russia because um, Russia has very much always censored the media. This is absolutely not new to this war, to what's going on now. Um, And although they don't necessarily do it in the same overt ways that countries like China and Iran do, in some ways, it also becomes a little bit more insidious. When you claim to have freedom of the press where it doesn't exist, it becomes much harder to call out. It, It becomes like very much like a he said, she said, yes, of course, we have freedom of the press. No, we don't. Yes, we do. Oh, no, that journalist is dead. (laughs) I know. Funny story, right? That guy just died. Hmm. Not sure how that happened. That never happens either. Hmm. Well, their tactic is just like full out lying. It's pretty remarkable. They'll be like, oh no, we don't do that. Right. (laughs) Right. And question us because you'll be in a jail in Siberia. So no, that's not happening. There's no secret police. (laughs) There's no, and also, I mean, I think it's interesting that like, you know, a government can purport to have, you know, free media and yet, if you protest against the war right now, you are liable to go to jail for 15 years. What a really nice segue. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome, Annika. You're welcome. When we dig a tiny bit deeper, it's not really hard to see that this was going on even before what's happening right now. As of 2021, Russia ranked 150th out of 180 countries by Reporters Without Borders. Um, In their index, Russia scores 83, with 100 being the worst, mostly because of um, a series of 2014 laws that further extended state control over mass media. Um, I'm going to highlight two kind of specific issues today that we're going to dig into. First, Jenny, what you were just saying, flat out denials about Russian attacks on Ukraine specifically. And then second, we'll get into doctored images or accounts on social media. So Over the last two weeks, between companies voluntarily pulling their services like TikTok or Netflix or being locked out like Facebook and Twitter, virtually all available media, sorry? Instagram's as of Monday. So by the time this recording is live, Instagram's no longer, Russia's pulled from Instagram. Right, right. And that means WhatsApp too. So all meta platforms. Yeah. So this means virtually all available media in all forms is completely state controlled. In early March, um, and Lee, this is what you were just talking about, Putin signed a law that forbids words like war or invasion to describe the actions of the Russian military and mandates up to 15 years in prison for any coverage that the state deems false information about the military campaign. Cool, cool. Cool move, guys. Cool, cool. You know what's interesting is that, like, slightly tangential here, I work with an amazing woman who came from Russia, oh, 20 years ago, and she left 20 years ago because of stuff like this. Well, so, this is, this has been the gig since like what, since even as a civilian, she, she had enough wherewithal to know that this wasn't going in a great place. And she, oh, 
Yeah. No, I mean, this has been, this has been the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Annika, but this has basically been the, the case in, in Russia since the rise of communism, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It becomes very, the more you can control the narrative, and this is very much Putin's MO still right now, is how can I control the narrative? His narrative in this being that this is a special military operation. Um, this ensures that the only thing that the Russian people are seeing and hearing is this is this really consistent narrative. And yes, for sure, you're going to have people who are critical of that. And you're also going to have people that are not critical of that, just like we have now with people watching cable news or, you know, listening to the radio or reading print, um, which I think is why this conversation is so important, because when we recognize that whatever we're watching has bias, then we can start to listen for the bias as well as the information. Yeah, totally. Annika, I have a question for you about this. So I mean, obviously, you know, platforms like, I forget which ones left voluntarily, as in like, we are pulling our services, much like many, many companies and many, many banks have done to Russia. TikTok Uh, and Netflix, specifically, if we're talking about social media, um, pulled, and then Facebook and Twitter were locked out. Right. Um, So, you know, uh, uh, somebody told me, again, sort of like a little bit of a kickback around like the Canadian trucker convoy, is that once... Russia was cut off Twitter and cut off, um, I forget something else like really severe anti-Trudeau rhetoric on those platforms decreased markedly. Right. So I'm wondering, we all know that Russia has been like really mucking around with, (laughs) with misinformation and disinformation on all of these social media platforms over the last several years to do with stuff that has nothing to do with Russia just because they want to stir the pot. In your opinion, do you think that it is beneficial for, if we're going to call it sort of like everybody else kind of term, the West, to have Russia be extricated in essence from these platforms? Or do you think that it's going to cause more more harm? It's, I mean, communication is a two-way street, right? Like Russia can't get all this garbage out to us, but we also, we, the very, very much royal we at this point, can't have any kind of like a, you know, hey, this is what's happening outside your country kind of influence. Like, what do you think about that aspect of the social media piece? Yeah. You know what? I, I, I we're going to dig a little bit more into it when we start to talk about, you know, doctored controlled photos and videos and social media accounts, but just as kind of a sidebar, I think it, like so many other things, I think freedom, freedom of the press, and I'm using finger quotes. Well, a very liberal use of finger quotes while I say that, um, is very much, uh, a double-edged sword because it allows, you know, all sides of a story to potentially come out, but it also, uh, does really breed the possibility for um, like misinformation to become much more widespread. And I think this is the other thing that we see now. And I mean, even if we look at the way people's social media use changed over the pandemic compared to what it was like two years ago, um, a lot, there's kind of a larger narrative that a lot of people have been kind of radicalized, quote unquote, radicalized by social media, because where more traditional media will, um, yes, sensationalist things, you know, the things that get the most reads or listens or watches or hits 
are promoted that happens in a much more uncontrolled way in social media. Um, and so I think it's, yes, right. Rapid fire. And people just, you can just share, push that share button out. It goes right. And then you put a little blurb, right. You share it. And then you put your thoughts below the share and your story or whatever. And then that breaks the telephone chain just a little bit. And then somebody goes, you know what I mean? It's so fast and easy. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's always going to be a double-edged sword. And I think that's only just, um, the speed at which that happens is increasing. And well, I think and the, the other it. aspect about this too, and this is something that my husband and I have chatted about a whole lot is that whether we like what quote unquote mainstream media is, you know, whatever, and they can share from a biased place, generally speaking in Canada, anyways, if you're sharing outright wrong information, you can have your licensing pulled. <laughs> like these are licensed bodies that have to adhere to certain I don't know, standards and, and rules and this kind of stuff. Yeah. Code of conduct rules, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, these independent, you know, media news sources, um, don't they're on YouTube, they're on social media, they can say whatever they want. And nobody is like, they're self-funded. You know, I think that this is one of the things that's, that is really important is that when you are externally funded, there is ultimately that carrot of follow the rules, play the game, right? Bias, sure. Sensationalism, sure. Of course, that's always been the case, right? Like you can look at, you know, news headlines from like the twenties and they're totally ridiculous, right? (laughs) Because again, that's, it's ultimately, it's a business. They want people to, you know, buy their product, which is information. But if things are outright wrong, you know, there's, there's all, of not just financial, you know, repercussions, but legal repercussions as well. Yeah. There's, there's a fact check requirement with larger media than there is with independent media. And, um, I think that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of like, yes, we can absolutely and should be critical of media, but we should be critical of all media, not just those for whom we can follow the purse strings because there's always purse strings. (laughs) And the thing is with the bigger media outlets, the purse strings are public knowledge. Right. Right. Right? They're easy to trace. Yeah. Again, I think that kind of comes back to this idea that like, it just becomes like a, a, she said, she said, like Russia's like, of course the press is free. Just don't ask about it. The end where, you know, if we can see, you know, this is who's funding, you know, Rupert Murdoch is funding X, Y, and Z. This is, you know, his personal track record on things. It becomes easier to, to be critical about the right pieces, which Mm -hmm. I think is where that like bias check comes in. Okay. So then let's say you take like a publicly funded enterprise, like CBC or BBC or NPR, right. Um, that that's publicly funded. That's taxpayer dollars, right? It's not like the Toronto star that's owned by whoever, (laughs) right. (laughs) Well, and so then, but this is where this gets complicated is so it's, it's funded by tax dollars, which means who do you have to keep happy? The government, the taxpayers, right. Right. Oh, the government. Right, 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 right. right. Because the government can change the law and all of a sudden the CBC has no funding anymore. So they can push, but only so far. Right. 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 And I think sometimes you'll get more 
I think often in public, um, you know, funded by, let's say, sorry, Rupert Murdoch and family, but, you know, let's use that example. Um, You'll get more pushback on government where in publicly funded, you'll get more pushback on private sector. And I think actually Mm. that's why a healthy mix of both will, even if you're only looking at, let's say you're only looking at left-rated sources, if you can find a balance of public and private, even on that side, Mm -hmm. I think it can be more helpful in terms of the way that things are going to get framed or the detail that you'll hear about something or not hear about something. Yeah. That's some really good framing. That's really good framing. Thank you for that. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's come back to kind of this idea of framing, um, in particular, like looking at how Russia is framing things in the Ukraine, no, no Russian state media right now has, um, coverage of explosions or strikes on neighborhoods where civilians live, um, very minimal in terms of troops, soldiers, heavy armored vehicles, et cetera. The operations in Ukraine are described as peacekeeping mission by the military to rescue Russian-speaking residents of the breakaway regions of two areas that I'm going to butcher because I do not speak the language, Donetsk and Luhansk. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I am from Canada. (laughs) And my ancestors are Northern European. Um. But this idea that, you know, these regions, and these are the regions that were very much flashpoints in 2014 in conflict that happened then, um, you know, that these are regions of, of Russian speakers that have had terrible war crimes perpetuated on them by the Ukrainian government. And again, as we're looking at being critical of all sides, just to add a complex layer into all of this, there is absolutely evidence that those regions... Uh, particularly, especially prior to and around 2014, were absolutely under threat of violence and actual violence from state-sponsored far-right organizations and political parties. I want to highlight that just to really talk about the importance of being critical of all sides and all narratives. Almost always, there's going to be some truth at the bottom of something. It's just how are we framing it and how are we looking at it and who are we being critical of? Right. In Ukraine is like, I don't understand it all fully, even remotely, but it's very, very, there's a lot of context. And I'm sure you're going to talk about this, Annika, but the whole, Putin seems to have dropped the ridding Ukraine of Nazis narrative, but initially that was a really strong thing he was pushing. And there are neo, like rather large neo-Nazi groups in Ukraine. We have neo-Nazi groups in Canada. We have them in the States. They're, 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 they're everywhere. everywhere. Not yeah. to say they don't exist. Um, but there is actually, there has been issue with that. It's a very complicated um, history. And I think that it's important to recognize that to your point, that there is some truth on with, with a lot of these different stories. Like, yeah, there are neo-Nazis in Ukraine and there and, are neo-Nazi, and there <laughs> neo-Nazi political parties who had candidates who absolutely were doing some of these things. And yeah, in no sure. world does that justify what's currently happening, but it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for highlighting that. Cause I think it's, um, it's such an important piece of this. Um, so kind of within this framing, the West again, Lee, kind of like what you said, like the very royal we, like, I don't know, it becomes very awkward. To, it's like very us versus them. It's like everyone who's not Russia. Yeah. 
NATO just, countries, especially though, I think kind of are at the crux of a lot of this, mm-hmm. um, are basically described as unsympathetic to the plight of these poor, you know, maligned Russian speaking, um, regions in the Ukraine. Um, and the kind of newest justification along these lines has to do um, with this, you know, Russian idea that has been latched onto by both the QAnon uh, far right in America slash the world, and also that China has um, been promoting is this idea that there are secret finger quotes again, research laboratories that the U.S. allegedly has in Ukraine that are developing biological weapons. On a just like, let's look at all sides of this, the U.S. has openly admitted to having helped establish dozens of research laboratories in former Soviet bloc countries. The facilities were intended to help destroy the remnants of the USSR's nuclear and chemical arsenal and are currently being used to monitor the emergence of new epidemics, all very timely in this world we're currently in. Um, But there is nothing secret about the facilities. They appear on public lists giving their locations. Um, They're also 100% run by the local governments um, within the countries that they're located in with the United States partly financing the equipment. So is there a nugget of truth in this? Could we get into a, can you trust what the Ukraine, the US and the UN say debate around this? Of course, but I think that again, we can come back to this idea of bias. Who is supporting and promoting this theory? What do they have to gain in talking about it? Um, For me, almost anything that gets cross-promoted by QAnon is immediately suspect (laughs) because you know, part of the goal there is getting Trump back in office at any cost. So when we look at, you know, how does this sow seeds of doubt? How does this, where is the payoff for somebody? It seems very clear. Um, And, you know, I also, we know for decades, Moscow has continually accused Washington of secretly, you know, working on biological weapons. This is a really common thread of a lot of Russian propaganda since the Cold War starting in 1949. Um, A big one that was really active kind of within those disinformation circles right up until the 2000s was this idea that the U.S. manufactured aids to target African and African-American populations. This idea grows legs because we know that Black communities in the U.S. are consistently discriminated against by the state, but I think we can be critical of that without buying into conspiracy. Well, and I think like from a psychology perspective, the biggest the biggest sort of recurring theme through this whole thing is just how can we destroy people's trust in the systems that are set up to whatever support us, right? Like what, what is it that we can do to plant that, you know, mustard seed of doubt that doesn't really take a whole lot of watering because, you know, as, as we've, you know, stated several times, like there are little bits of truth through some of these things. And if you have gotten to your trust in your ability to like your ability to trust what these people are saying or what the government says, or that these systems are in place that are, are for you and that there's not some like great secret plot, you know, I think there's been so much conversation around who it is that falls prey to, um, to this level of, of, of misinformation and, you know, mental gymnastics sometimes that it takes to be able to be in those places. There's a lot of talk in, you know, from the the sort of psychology perspective of people for whom, who have had, you know, a lot of trauma in their childhood, who have 
parental trust issues with authority um, that come from having had, you know, a rough childhood or someone who they should have been able to trust, prove themselves to be untrustworthy. And unfortunately, trust once it's broken is something that's really hard to rebuild. And, you know, I think for me, the thing about this whole thing, like, I don't particularly care if somebody thinks X, Y, Z about ABC, but the greater issue for me is just the incredible intentional effort that seems to be going now amplified through social media to basically sow the seeds of mistrust so that it becomes a consistent second guess, a consistent second guess from a central nervous perspective. That's incredibly dysregulating that keeps everybody in like high stress, high cortisol, you know, borderline at, at, at best, if not full fledged fight or flight. And from a cognitive perspective, that really hampers what you're able to be able to sort of like hold and manipulate and look for those nuanced off, you know, sort of answers. I think this is one of the reasons why we have seen so much radicalization, because when someone is freaked out intellectually, you are reduced in your capacity to be able to understand complex nuance. This is why this reductionist simplistic, this is the bad guy. This is the good guy perspective, I think this is one of the reasons why it's grown such legs because we have a, you know, a huge population of people who are looking at stuff that again, to your original point at the beginning of the podcast, we never had access to this information before. Right. Right. We never had this access to this kind of information before. We never had access to the opinions of more than like your family, your neighbors, (laughs) The the newspaper singular. Exactly. Like maybe you went to the town hall meeting and hung out with 50 other farmers or whatever, you know, like we aren't built to handle the opinions of about more than about 150 people really. Right. And you do anything and you're looking at the opinions of hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. It's the whole thing from like an intellectual and psychological perspective is both fascinating and also really troubling. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the skill set that comes along with then being able to filter out the hundreds or the hundreds of thousands of voices into something that our brains can actually use becomes very challenging, I think. Oh yeah. It's like, it's really, really hard. And especially if you've already got people who are like in a dysregulated state, right? If you're totally activated and who are scared and who are anxious, right. And who have already been told, like, don't trust anybody. Don't trust the power. All those people who you've been taught your whole life, who are there to take care of you. They're not, they're actually against you. They've been plotting against you this whole time. It is so destabilizing. I've got a question for you. What does, do we know what media looks like in Russia right now? So it's a very small handful, you know, with three to five, depending on the media, uh, our medium of newspaper and, and um, approved television that just kind of continues to parrot this same line that, um, you know, this is not a big deal. This is to free the enslaved Russian people who want to be free. This is um, defending ourselves against a upcoming U.S. Um, you know chemical attack that's 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 right around the corner if we don't do something about it now. Um, and it very much 
becomes like just the, the repetition of these like same talking points again and again, because that's all that you can say. So I'm curious what, how have people have Russians had to be really savvy to get different information. So it's really my friend, for example, who obviously was able to get enough information 20 years ago about what was sort of really going on or nuances about what was happening. She was, I I actually, I should ask her how she got, are people just being really savvy? Like, well, I, it's interesting because prior to, you know, kind of the wider media shutdown that's happened over the last, you know, let's say week, um, the BBC actually issued a, um, here's how you can get a new VPN from a different country. So you can continue to look at the media that you want to watch. And then they've also started, um, broadcasting via shortwave radio, (laughs) Oh. which I think is really interesting. That's so retro. Right. I'm so here for the shortwave radio. That feels very 1940s, but right. Super large percentage of people in Russia use WhatsApp as their primary form of communication. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think there's going to, there's going to continue to be, there are a few like, like um, Russian approved equivalents. <laughs> because of course there are. Um, but in order to kind of get a, around, I mean, we live in an age of such technology, you absolutely can find workarounds in almost any country to find the things you want to find. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think, risky. sorry, that's potentially risky. Well, it, it's super risky in a country that absolutely has zero qualms with throwing a reporter up in Siberia for the rest of their lives with no paper trail. Um, But you also have to be really driven to want to do that, right? And I think the reality of the world right now is so many people are like working very hand to mouth. Like I don't have the bandwidth if I am, you know, hustling my butt at a job that's barely feeding my family. I don't have the bandwidth to like search out a VPN. Like I'm just trying to live. And so I think the risk is when you have a large population that isn't um, able or willing to do that extra legwork, that that censorship, it's like, oh, well, I don't have WhatsApp anymore. I've just got to like get to work and feed my kids. I don't have the bandwidth to work around this. Um, I think that's where it becomes harder to change the narrative. And that's, I think, honestly, what Russia counts on a lot is the fact that in any given country right now, almost everyone is, with the exception of the wealthy elite, almost everyone is strapped for bandwidth for something more, something extra, another step to take. Even if you are somebody who isn't worried that the Kremlin is going to come down and raid your house and drag you and your family to Siberia. Which I think the general population is genuinely concerned about. Because it's because it happens. How many people were protesting because those are very brave people. Yeah, because the reality is something will probably happen to them or their families, which for people with, you know, families that they care about is, I don't, I, I, I can't say that I'd be doing it if I was in oh, Russia right, right now. Do you know what was really interesting? If you, um, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Adam Mosseri, the head of Instagram. Yes. Anyways, if you go on his feed as of today, he actually did a little, is it a reel? Is it a live? I don't know, whatever video post saying that as of Monday, Today, actually, as of today, at the time of our recording, um, Russia is pulling from uh, Instagram. And this is, you know, concerning in terms of 
information and in terms of people being able to connect with each other, blah, blah, blah. And I went to the comment section. Oh, what did we learn? (laughs) No, you know what? I was floored because every single, okay, I didn't scroll for all the comments, but I did a reasonable swipe, 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 all comments in Russian. And there's a translate button. Uh huh. So, and the translate's not bad. Like, yep. it, you get the gist of it. All people spewing very clearly propaganda. The Russian people have been oppressed by the U.S. We've been attacked by the U.S. for centuries, centuries. Um, right. Like right. since the U.S. was made. Like, I don't, <laughs> like yeah, centuries. <laughs> During the American Civil War, they were all right. Russian. Very busy. Very busy in those Russia. days. <laughs> Well, it was an imperial country anyways. Um, <laughs> but like, just very clearly, like if you read them, you're like, whoa. And the thing that's fascinating is then you go click on the person to see if they like, is this a real account? We're talking like, and I, I don't know how to validate what, how. Um, oh, we're literally going to talk about that next. Don't worry. You're segueing. Oh my gosh. Perfect. Okay. So <laughs> I don't know how to validate. Cause to me, if you look, okay, you've got hundreds of thousands of followers. I click on one of your posts. You've got tons of comments. Is that entirely driven by robots? Totally, potentially. I don't know who public figures are in Russia. I genuinely don't. But like the the accounts that were making these comments were notably large accounts, mm-hmm. Russian accounts. So they weren't people with no profile picture. Like they weren't like in North America, our trolls are generally people with like very obviously fake accounts. Right? Yeah, yeah, totally. There's no posts, you know what I mean? Like it's pretty obvious to be like, oh my God, you're a professional internet asshole but these <laughs> accounts the people posting in response to the head of instagram story were all in russian the ones that i looked at i did not look at every single one were large accounts seemingly real large accounts to my untrained eyes and it was all the exact same almost the same verbiage mm-hmm. fairly different people like i'm not advocating that these are potentially all robot generated things maybe they are but it makes sense if you've got what three streams of media in Russia right now, of course the narrative is going to be the verbiage is going to be the same. Yeah. Um, and it was almost robotic in the sense that it was like, we are being attacked by America, our rights. And it was all targeted at America, which I found very fascinating. Right. Like, but you're not in America right now. You're not bombing America, but okay. <laughs> yeah. And apparently you're ridding they, I mean, they aren't ridding Ukraine of Nazis anymore. They seem to have lost that. Right. Okay. Okay, well, and how we determine these accounts. Now I'm fascinated. Let's segue this. <laughs> Tell us, Annika. Show us okay. the ways. So there's a couple of things um, that I'll just kind of like give some context on. And then um, I actually, I, I'm going to do the thing where I put a link in the chat and I'm going to have you guys look at it because it's really fun. <laughs> Ooh, I'm here for this. I'm so excited now. Okay, go. I've been, I've been, it's like the last thing I have on my notes. So I'm like, just keep, keep listening. Let's go. Okay. So um, let's dive in specifically around doctored controlled photos and videos and social media accounts. Um, as kind of, we've been talking about Russia has cloaked information to their own citizens, but they're also actively attempting to sow seeds of disinformation about what's going on inside other platforms. Um, Because of the double-sided censorship of this, um, you know, this is where we start to see, Lee, like you mentioned, um, you know, we know that there was active Russian disinformation happening in the 2016 election in the U.S. That's like very, very well documented across multiple biases and platforms. Um, And so we start to see some of that shift when that two-way street of communication shuts down. 
Um, but because Yes, we can, you know, trace some of that specifically into Russia, um, but we can also track those into specific locations in Belarus, who is, you know, currently actively supporting Russia in this. So in a lot of ways, it just kind of becomes a giant cyber game of whack-a-mole. It's like you're maybe it stops here, but then it pops back up here. The people using the VPNs to listen to the BBC, um, you can also use a VPN to get on Instagram and post, you know, a, a disinformation TikTok or whatever. So again, all of these pieces are so complex because they all come with both the good and the bad. But I really want to kind of highlight how important this distinction is, because really what we're talking about right now is the hacking of people's beliefs more than we're talking about traditional hardware or software hacking. In this current age, cyber attacks start to not look so much like, you know, a, a dude in black in a dark room with a pair of wire snippers as much as, um, you know, it's really just muddying the narrative because beliefs have become as important as reality. When you can muddy the beliefs and lead to what you were talking about, so those seeds of mistrust. And again, we, we look at the flip side of that. If you are Black in America, those seeds of mistrust are real because the state is literally not supporting you. The state is designed to yeah. not support you, to keep you oppressed. So, yeah. And there's 400 years of generational trauma right. that's also compounded, mm -hmm. like literally in like a DNA like level. Right. So there's the very real, like, you know, actual systems in present day nowness that are not for people who are, you know, black indigenous people of color. Um, but also just the compounded trauma that of course, inherently leads to the sense of like internal chaos and also lack of trust. Yes. And when we can change or shift or muddles people's beliefs, even something simple like I can't trust the mainstream media, heavily finger quoted, <laughs> this allows an openness to all other forms and an openness to unvetted sources. Mm -hmm. And this is where we really see, I think, and are going to continue to see in the coming days, weeks, months, years, so much of modern warfare in countries by proxy actually has to do with information and belief as much as it has to do with physical action, traditional action of war. Yeah, very so, much so. Yeah. Um, while social media sites have started actively trying to root some of this out, closing fabricated accounts disguised with fake names and AI generated profile images or hacked accounts. That's I think the other thing kind of to your question, Jenny, is sometimes these are legitimate accounts that have been hacked mm -hmm. As in then that comment was not posted by, you know, Mary Jo Russian, <laughs> but her account is legitimate, right? That's, that's another way that this can start to happen. Well, um, interesting. And you know, right. anecdotally, I have uh, some people I know who have larger accounts on Instagram and in that world of people with larger accounts, accounts are getting locked out like a lot. Right. They're getting locked out for misinformation. And I'm talking like DIY home decor counselor. <laughs> actively avoid posting any controversial content because that's not their their thing right. but now I'm wondering like were they posting controversial content and they actually had no idea right and and, and or is this the algorithm trying to root that out and just not being able to do it effectively because it's not a person it's an algorithm 
Well, maybe it is doing it effectively. Like if I think we used to have accounts hacked, like stolen so that the actual user could not access their account, but I bet they can actually hack these accounts without the user knowing, with the user still having their account yes. and their yep. eyes working, but then it's also doing other things. Those things get flagged because they're actually happening right? The person's name. And then this like person who paints houses and shares them on Instagram is like, holy shit, my account's gone. Yeah. I have it like, was my house choice color? Like, was that? <laughs> I, you can't make the wreath that way. I did it myself. It's not disinformation. Yeah. And I mean, I'm hypothesizing here, but I, right. I've just seen this happen so many times in very bizarre ways that it it's conceivable. Maybe yeah. Fake news right now, but it's, it seems quite conceivable. I think the, I think the algorithm is really, um, I mean, let's put it this way. I would rather an overactive (laughs) algorithm that's catching stuff like this than an underactive algorithm. There's a therapist that I follow on Instagram. Who's got a pretty large account and she'll often do like, ask me anything in her stories and her specific niche within therapy is eating disorders, um, uh, deconstructing religion, so on and so forth. Right. So she talks a lot about eating disordered disorders, disordered eating, orthorexia, so on and so forth. And in the last like week, twice, two of her stories have been like, you know, they put like that, the like fog up with like sensitive content, like that kind of thing. And all it is, is a picture of her, like answering a question, almost always about disordered eating. And it is not like a grotesque picture or nudity or terrible language or anything, but the algorithm for whatever reason is, is taught to it, it found that word that it was looking for. Exactly. And exactly. It. From like, uh, just the way, you know, AI works just in general right now from the academic side. So I'm doing my master's right now. One of the things I have to do with a lot of my papers is I have to submit my papers through something called turn it in and turn it in takes my paper and scans hundreds of thousands of other student papers, journal articles, books, internet, blah, blah, blah. It's gotta be millions actually to that paper from, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To look for plagiarism. Okay. Now, great. That's good. Plagiarism is a terrible thing, right? So I will turn my paper in And even though it's a totally original paper that's properly cited, and like, I really am very careful about this, um, I'll get a similarity report back that's like 9%. And why is it 9%? Because the AI is catching like things like, for example, like even the citations that I put in, which I have to put in in a certain way to cite it properly it will catch it. Right. So I think in terms of just like understanding, like AI is great, but it's not a human brain. Mm -hmm. And so it can't, it can only factor for so many things. And so, you know, if it's happening in academia, where like the very thing that I have to do in order to prove that I'm not plagiarizing is giving me back a plagiarism report of 9%, you know, then same thing I'm sure is on some other level is holding true for social media. Yeah. It's a great example. Yeah. Yeah. So again, that I, it just really highlights, it's a perfect example of how absolutely complex all of this is. It's not, there's no direct A to B without a C and a D and a G stop over in the middle. Um, and so when we look at some of this, you know, stuff that's coming out, there's people actively combing through footage 
release by hand um, to look at a digital level at where things have been fabricated. Like something posted on a thread as, you know, an attack on Russian fighter jets was like footage of a street in the UK with images from a fighting video game interspersed in the middle. If we're not diligent about looking at this in that detail with somebody who can dig into the digital signatures of a file, mm-hmm. uh, certainly not my forte. <laughs> But it's really easy to get caught up in that emotion. So right now, some of this is messy and sloppy, but in the coming weeks, that could very likely get tightened up as they figure out workarounds to create a doctored video that doesn't even look doctored on a digital level. The biggest issue around this, I think, is going to start to come in the you know weeks and months to follow, depending on how long this conflict extends, because when there is a media vacuum and the global media simply cannot keep up coverage at the rate that it is now. I feel like even today it's dropping off compared to what I maybe saw a week ago. Um, It's in that vacuum that some of that depth, depth of analysis starts to disintegrate simply because there isn't that same urgency that we are seeing things being discussed with that we are right now. So Annika, from, from your perspective, you know, how does the average person sort of figure out what's real, what's not, what's a good source, what, where should I be getting my information from? Obviously in this time, like, especially on the heels of two years of COVID where we've all been living so vicariously and, and by distance through our phones and through our screens, what's your advice in terms of how it is, if someone really wants to be sort of mindful around this, how do you proceed? I think a few things are important. Um, I think looking at, you know, who's posting this, because sometimes we're looking at things that have been reshared, right? So look at who's posting it to begin with, look at the original content and where that's coming from. Um, And then I think, you know, kind of the larger lesson is the more we can be clear on everything is coming with a bias. So figure out where the bias is and then make sure you're listening to whether you agree with them or not. I very often listen to or read news stories from sources that I know are credible, but that I disagree with at a very deep level, um, simply to understand the way that something is being framed either. So I can have a open conversation with somebody. This is what has been happening a lot for me over the last couple of weeks, especially is somebody comes with very different information than what I have been reading, hearing, and seeing. And so when I can see what they've been seeing from reputable sources that I just disagree with, (laughs) um, that can be a really helpful way for me to see how other people are viewing the same things that I'm viewing. Um, And in terms of social media platforms, and this is kind of, um, Jenny, to what you were talking about seeing on Instagram, um, have you guys heard about um, GANs, so Generative Adversarial Networks? No, I haven't. So this is basically like GAN imaging um, to create like fake AI generated images of people that like look pretty real if you don't start to dig into it at a deeper level. So this is a lot of times where those, um, like the idea of a fake profile comes from, but sometimes even within other media as things are being posted, if things are not carefully vetted, um, 
either in, you know, within a story or, you know, from directly from within sources. Um, I'm going to drop something in the chat for you guys, because I find this really, really interesting. Um, this is, um, this is a website and every time you refresh it, um, it will pull up an image, um, from this AI generated like bank of images. The website is this person does not exist.com. If you want to go play this yourself, I'm here. it's a picture of a woman image generated by GAN generative adversarial network. Don't panic, learn how it works. Right. So, so what am I seeing? So I just see a picture. There's no text. Right. This is not a real person that you're looking at right now. Oh, this That's is not a real person. That fake, fake mm -hmm. Oh my God. Really? Right. It literally just looks like a person, a picture right. of a, a woman. Yep. And I was waiting for like the, be like, this is a picture of Mary nope. Taylor. This is not a picture of Margaret Thatcher, who everybody keeps talking about. It's like, nope. no, it's this person just simply doesn't exist. What? This is wild. Like, this is just like a image of like a really like normal looking middle, like, mid like middle-aged lady with like, and if you refresh the page, a new picture will pop up and Holy it is also shit. a person who's not a person. Holy cow. And these are all different people. Oh, and you, you know what you can do here? So as I'm refreshing, I'm seeing like someone who looked very much like uh, a native Canadian, like, sorry, by native, I mean born in like a typical looking like white Canadian person um, that was poorly described. And now I'm going through and this guy looks, has more of the characteristics of like a, like an Eastern European male. And then if you keep scrolling, so you keep getting on oh, here, I've got a Chinese woman. Yeah, it, it, it is bananas when you start to realize the depth of ease with which information can look so real and be not real at all. So you How are these people easily, not real? This they're is not so real. Wild. None of them are real. But you can easily then make a picture of, I don't know, Biden doing something horrible. Right. And it would look yep. exactly like him. And it yep. wouldn't be photoshopped, like cropped nope. in. Like you could literally do it. Wow. Yeah. And it would be very, very believable. So there's a few things that you can kind of look in detail at. Um, that can be really helpful if you're looking specifically at like, let me vet this account. So straight hair that looks more like paint. Like if you look at the details, AI gets a lot of the details really wrong. Um, you'll notice text in the background would be indecipherable or not look like any sort of letters or is, is usually blurry or some kind of surreal kind of background. Oh yeah. The backgrounds, you're right. They're all zoomed in faces. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like the one that I'm looking at, the one I'm looking at right now, it's like a boy, maybe like 13 or 14 years old. And I zoomed in and his neck yes. is like not a real neck. Like it has like right stretch marks on it almost <laughs> looks like yeah. and like weird yeah. almost like teeth weird teeth is a big one asymmetry so like earrings that don't match on both sides um Crazy. weird messy hair like bits across the forehead that look a little like that's funny um and like and all the background it's like in portrait mode it's yes all blurred in the background it's just yes. and so if you're seeing one image 
and only one image, that's another obvious red flag. But if you look at some of the detail within the image, that's another way that you wow. can tell. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm looking at one here. It's a, it's a, a, like a South, like a Southeast Asian um, woman. And she has like a really, like you can tell now that we're like talking about these right. details, there's like a really weird looking, like, like maybe it's a scar, but it's like not a scar like right. on. And yeah, you're right. She only has one earring on. And like, if you look down at like the, the neck again and like the, um, what am I trying to say? Like the texture on her, like her shirt is like real weird. Like that's not, that's not a real person. That is the craziest thing I've seen in a real long time. Isn't that bananas? Funny. If you look in the, in their eyes, you can see the light on their, like, you know how you'll normally see the light in both sort of parts of the eye, unless they have an, someone has an eye condition The the reflection of the light will be in different parts. Yes. Yeah. Different colored eyes is another one or like, you know, they're interesting. If you look like the teeth on the right side of the mouth are often quite different in terms of like the gum line. Right. Which I mean, some people have, but it's just consistent. Right. But none of these are things that you would have noticed if we weren't talking about it. Right. Yeah, totally. These are like those details, like, you know, in those like (laughs) dentistry commercials that are like, (laughs) You know, like someone's missing an eyebrow and you don't even notice it because all you see is their bad teeth. They're like, right. so I, you're getting your teeth done. It's so important. It's totally that like your, your brain scans for some like key details, especially in like a time where like, how much time do we actually spend looking at an image now? Like, like oh, yeah. fractions of a section of a sec of a second. That's nuts. Annika. Okay, I can't yeah. Move I know. It's- I can't do this. This is yeah. Well, cause that, well, and I actually think it's a really good exercise and a really healthy exercise. So as you're listening, please feel free, hop on this person does not exist.com and just keep hitting the refresh button. Because once we start to look for those things, we're training our brain to see them, which means that when you see this showing up somewhere in your real life, trying to be passed off as somebody who's real, you'll know what to look for. Yeah. For me, it's the necks, almost all of their necks are super weird. Oh, and then this one that I've got has somebody like in the image beside them, but the picture of the person who's also in the image is so distorted that they right. like don't even look like a human. And like their ear has been blended with the person's <laughs> ear. And like, they're obviously have got like, the machine hand. is doing its best, but it is not actually no. real. <laughs> no, this is like some straight up Terminator level shit. This is like, right. This is right. Kind of nuts. And this is the thing, right? It's when, when we're not, as most of us don't do most of the time, again, just simply talking about bandwidth. Like I'm just trying to feed my family and like write my papers and like get my bed made in the morning. I don't have the bandwidth to dig into everything at this level. This is where this kind of the ubiquitousness of this existing starts to be especially problematic. So kind of to put like a nice bow on this, cause I'm sure we're like way over time, but this has just been so good. Um, I think the most important thought that after all of this, I, I have been left with is misinformation is really engaging. Yeah. It typically, it has a very highly emotional feel, um, and that's a really effective tactic for hooking you into it. Mm-hmm. It often has a lot of certainty around what's real and what's true when, as we know, it's very hard 
for that to be real right now because things change so quickly because everything is so complex and nuanced. Um, anytime, you know, check your sources, listen to lots of different perspectives, um, learn the biases of who and what you're listening to. If you could, if you like them and you trust them, continue to listen to them. Just make sure you understand what bias they're coming from is because anytime anybody says that they are bias free or something is bias free, pack up your bags and run in the very opposite direction. (laughs) Everything everywhere is biased. The best we can do is see through that bias and try to find a balance in the kinds of bias filters we're looking at the world through. I mean, my brain just is still not computing this. This person does not exist. so much for listening to meet me in the middle. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.